How about we just pray before we sit down? Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for what you want to do in each one of our hearts. And Father, we thank you for your grace, your ever-present grace, taking us home, leading us closer to yourself. I pray a blessing on each and every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. How about giving somebody a high five as you take your seats? Okay, so a shout out to all mothers. So um, it was lovely to get chocolates and roses. But I want to shout out to all women in this place, you know, whether you've had children or you haven't had children, because there's a mother in every woman. You know, there's a person who cares, who wants to help, who can empathize, who wants to gather up. So let's be thankful for all the women here today. How about we give them a clap? Amen. So this is a Mother's Day sermon, but I hope it's going to gather a lot of you in today because Jesus is all about gathering. In fact, Jesus had, you know, he's more than mother and father. He's above that. And um, he always longed to gather. He always wanted to show his love. He wanted to embrace. He wants to call home. And in Matthew, we read 20, in verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 27. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And if you listen, and I'm encouraging you this morning to listen to the Spirit of God. You can hear the heart of God for Jerusalem. I wanted to gather you. I wanted to bring you close. I wanted to show you more than you could ever perceive with your own natural eye. I wanted you to feel my heartbeat, but you refused to come. But God's heart is to gather, and this morning, he's going to gather people to himself. He's going to bring people home. He's going to bring you close so that you can hear his heartbeat and you can hear his words. Now, I get to preach on Mother's Day, but I thought I'd put it in a disclaimer first that Bruce and I are not the perfect parents. Um, we were good parents, but we're not the perfect parents. I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect parent because there's a place in every child's life that only God can occupy. And I think God leaves that space so that we will call on him and find him for ourselves. So we're not the perfect parents. And so I'm not up here today priding myself and saying, oh, I know lots of answers. But I want to tell you today that I love the wisdom of God. I love what God speaks into our life and what God can impart through our lives, even though we're not perfect in many ways. When yeah, our children grew up, we felt like, yay, we did a great job because we walked in the light that we had. It's like in the light that we had, yes, we put our heart and our soul into it. And then you see today that there is, in current days, there's more light, there's more understanding, there's better ways to do things, there's psychology, and we're like, oh, that would have been helpful. <laughs> and I could almost feel like, oh no, we missed it. Oh, we didn't do it as well as we could have done it, because there's always more light. 
But you know, we are really grateful for the grace of God because it's the, and I wonder if the outcome would have been any different because we were praying, believing parents, trusting God with our children. He was able to shape their lives even more than we could have. When I was a young mum, an older, wiser lady once said to me, Helen, if you're in the will of God, God will look after your children. And you know, we can be out of the will of God. We could be trying to be the best, perfect parent, but we're not giving God the opportunity to look after our children as he desires to. Why? Because we're in the way. So I thought that was a really comforting statement. You know, there are gaps in every child or person's life that only the Holy Spirit can fill. And God's going to fill some gaps in people's lives. So we praise God that he filled the gaps for our kids. Now, I'm not suggesting you leave gaps on purpose. No way. You know, you've got more light. You can do better than we did. Okay, fill as much as you can, but don't try and do God's jobs. So I thought I'd tell tales on Bruce and I. Here's some gaps. Terrible parents. We didn't make our children read. How much emphasis is there today about making your children read? A panic if your kids aren't reading. Well, we had four active, energetic, boisterous children who preferred to tie each other up to trees outside, you know, <laughs> fishing nets to try and take wigs off ladies as they passed the hedge, all sorts of things like that. And we couldn't make them read, but we didn't really try that hard either. So we failed, okay? Um, we didn't follow up on kids' homework. Did they have homework? I don't really know. <laughs> It wasn't until they were older and they asked for help that I certainly applied myself, fancied myself on being a bit of an English teacher and being able to write, so that all worked out well, but it's like they didn't say they had it, so I guess they didn't. <laughs> we let the children play, and my philosophy, I probably did too much, that they're only young once, so we gave them very few duties. They didn't have many duties at all because they're only young ones and their turn will come. We let them get dirty. And I think that was probably because we started on a farm. So our four children went out in a sense to play and we hosed them down at the end of the day. <laughs> I think that's the difference between country and city kids. Okay, this is a shocking, you're gonna be shocked. We didn't have devotions as a family. We tried, <laughs> but we had four riotous children around the table and they would explode with laughter and one would set the other off and it was just a waste of time. <laughs> but put them in the right environment, they all grew in their faith in their own way. Do you know as a parent, a prophetic prayer or a scripture is helpful to hold on to? It counteracts or deals with any fear you may have as a mother or a parent. What's your prophetic word? Even if it's for something you're reaching out for, do you have a prophetic word that when the enemy comes to make you fear or you know worry, you've got something that you can send straight out into the enemy's face? And Isaiah 44, for me, it says, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for my children. I'm thirsty for my family. Who is, and floods on the dry ground. 
I will pour my spirits on your my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. And I could send this scripture out anytime I thought, what's happening? I would send that scripture and say that, Lord, you're going to make them come up like willows by the watercourse. They'll come up. They'll spring up among the grass. Can't see a lot, but here they come. And we need prophetic scriptures for where we're going and what we're doing, not just in parenthood. And we need ongoing scriptures. What's your prophetic word that you're reaching out for? So when you feel like, is anything happening? Yes, I send out this prophetic word. Why? Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Are you sending out the word of God? The best thing you can pray for your children, the best thing you can pray for your life, the best thing you can pray for your business is the word of the Lord. Because God said it's not gonna return to me void, but it will accomplish the thing which I have sent it for. So we can see that it's both creative. If you speak, God forms. God shapes in the lives and the hearts of others and our hearts as well. If you send forth the word of God, it's like a torpedo. It will find the enemy. Just like a, um, a torpedo on a submarine, it'll find it. And it'll detonate it, it'll blow it up, every destructive force. But how good are we at sending the word out by praying prophetically and allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe on it, to form it, to shape it. And we need to, in a sense, to listen in the spirit for what he wants to do. I thought being older, and I'll be 68 this year, so I'm getting older, my gosh, heading for 70. Bruce will be 70 this year. You didn't gasp, like, really? <laughs> gasp! <laughs> okay, I thought I'll look up something on modern day motherhood. The irony is that we're more intentional, better resourced, and more informed than any generation of mothers in the history of the world. Yet, we still feel inadequate, burned out, defeated, and unfulfilled most of the time. I hear the variations of these following questions nearly every day. What else do I need to do? What else do I need to learn, buy, add to my plate to alleviate me of the stress and discontentment I feel? What am I doing wrong? And you know, that's the irony, we can know more but yet feel more stress and feel more inadequate and feel like we've got to add. And the enemy wants to always put guilt on us. Someone once said, I think it was Margaret Hollingsworth, said, do your best and God will do the rest. How about we just give it what we've got, we live our heart out, we do what's in front of us to do, and let God do the rest for us. So I've entitled this sermon, Who's Coming For Me? And that's the question on a lot of hearts. And it really stirred in me when I was in Manila. And we went over a footbridge at night um, to a shopping center. It was dark. 
and there's a little boy by himself asleep, just asleep on the footbridge, and hundreds of people are passing. And I said, oh, I wonder who's coming for him. You know, is anybody going to pick this little boy up? And we met children of seven who were minding whole families. They don't go to school because the mother's working to survive and seven-year-olds have got babies in arms and holding them. But my question was, who's coming for that little boy? You know, just like God wants to come for us today. You know, God is always there and coming to us. He came for a mother in the Bible. He came for a woman called Hagar. Hagar was in the wilderness. She was distressed, she was alone, and she was confused. She had been used by her mistress, Sarai, to conceive a baby by Sarai's husband. And then because of the contention and the mistreatment, she fled to the wilderness. She was a hurting woman, a distressed woman. And in Genesis 16, we see the angel of the Lord came to her. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. God saw Hagar. He already knew where she was, but he wanted her to know where she was. And so in voicing it, she voiced, I'm fleeing. And maybe there's some mums here that are pressured, that are lonely, that are feeling condemned, just people in general, maybe feeling like that and you've run. And you know who's coming for you today? The Spirit of the Lord is coming for you to pick you up, to speak into your life and to take you and lead you back home. So God sees us. He knows where we are. And I find God always speaks into that space. That's why I can live with a buoyancy. That's why I can live with a joy. Because I find God will always speak into that space of my need. My mind wanders off and flees somewhere. The Holy Spirit comes running after me. Well, I come running after him. And I find a word in my spirit that ministers to me and leads me home and leads me into the place that I should be. So the Spirit of the Lord and God looked at Hagar and he spoke into her exhaustion. He spoke into her confusion, into her worry, into her isolation, into her condemnation. Because here's Hagar, she's displaced. Where do I fit? Where do I belong? I've been mistreated and I'm alone. She doesn't know where to go, what to do. She is feeling broken, but she's not forgotten. You might be here today and you're feeling broken, but you are not forgotten. God's looking at you. God knows where you are. God's coming for you, and he's going to speak into that space in your life and bring you comfort. And he tenderly and lovingly speaks into Hagar's life. He speaks into her lostness. He speaks into the complexities. Do you ever have complexities of mind? God just wants to unravel that and bring it right back to what truth is. And the truth was that he loved Hagar. 
And he said to Hagar in chapter 16, verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? So she sees the God who sees her. And she says, here. And we think, does God only notice us when we're doing well? Does God only notice us when we're ticking all the boxes and doing what we think God wants us to do? No, God notices us, us, in every situation. He notices us when we're down. He notices us when we're lonely. He notices us when we're getting all pressured and all stressed. He notices us. And he wants us to speak a word into our lives. So God speaks into a future. And here's a prophetic word. He says to her, Hagar, you're worth reproducing. There's no one that God looks at and says, you're not worth reproducing. You are worth reproducing. And Hagar, he says, then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. You're worth it, Hagar. This may not have been your plan. This might have been imposed upon you. You might have been isolated because of this. But you are worth reproducing, Hagar, and I have a plan for your descendants that I will multiply them and they will be a multitude. You know, there's a Hagar in each one of us. In the name of Hagar means a flight or a wanderer. The Bible talks about vain imaginations. We can wander off with vain imaginations. How many people know that? Tell a story on myself. <laughs> when we were in um, Wanganui, we planted Masterton Church. So Bruce would go on a Wednesday night. He would drive, well, he'd go in the daytime, do the e-group, which was the formation of the Masterton Church, drive back and get back by about 12.30. So I turned that creatively, creatively into family night for the children where we made things, we did crafts. But Bruce would be really home late, and sometimes I'm thinking, oh, hope he hasn't crashed, hope he doesn't die. You know how your imagination goes crazy, and they're like, don't be stupid, he hasn't finished doing what God wants him to do yet, God's not going to take him. But our imaginations, I only tell that story to say how we can get carried away sometimes and run away, okay, but we need to bring it back. And God speaks to Hagar where she had run to, and he brings her back home. She had fled unseen, unheard, and unloved. But she returned loved, heard, and seen by one far greater than Abram and Sarai. She had left with no other identity than slave, and she found her true calling through the eyes of Elroy, the one who had blessed her womb, the one who had made her a mother. God put value in Hagar, and God is here to put value in you. You are seen and you are blessed and God wants to do something amazing in each and every one of our lives that it can come through our lives to bless and encourage. Jesus is bending down today. Don't you love that? Uses the word condescend, but it's not in the negative way we think condescend. God comes down in a sense to lift us up, to show that he's seen you and me and he wants us to bring us back from where we have run. And God is going to bring release into people's hearts today. Who's coming for me? Just pause and I'm going to show you in a minute 
The story of Bill Wilson, you may have heard about him. He's the senior pastor and founder of Metro Ministries in Brooklyn, in New York. And collectively over the campuses, they reach 100,000 children a week and they hear the gospel. His progressive mission is to find and rescue the children left behind in this battleground of drugs, violence, and filth. Bill Wilson's model for changing lives of urban youth is now in operation in hundreds of cities around the world. Bill Wilson has the whatever-it-takes attitude. So he's, took, he's taking the message of hope to the ghettos where everyone else had given up on them. Bill Wilson's life story is incomplete without understanding what makes up this compassionate, insightful, and determined man. It's best told in his own words from his book, Whose Child Is This? And here's his story. My mother and I were walking down the street on the block where we lived in Pinellas Park, Florida, just north of St. Petersburg. It was near the Welcome Inn on Park Boulevard where she worked as a barmaid. We stopped and sat down on a concrete culvert that was built over a little drainage ditch. She was very quiet that day. After a few minutes, she stood up and said, I can't do this anymore, you wait here. I did exactly what my mum said. I sat there waiting for her to return. The sun went down and she still wasn't back. For three days, I sat in the Florida sun on that concrete culvert. I didn't know where to turn. If I'd known how to pray, I would have done it, but religion had no place in our home. All I could do was try to be brave and choke back the tears that would fill up my eyes. Mum never came back. That's the beginning of my story, and it's the same one we hear in the inner city over and over again. It's about thousands of kids who've been abandoned by society. That's why we've been working in the city for so long. They need more. They need to be safe and well-fed. They need a family and they need something more. They need God. Bill Wilson knows from personal experience and a lifetime of devotion to children, it takes time to build a generation. But with commitment to work with committed people all across the globe, this American hero is working to change the world one child at a time. Bill Wilson was picked up. Someone came for him. They found him. Dave Rudinus, a local mechanic and committed Christian, found him there and took him to his home. Rudinus offered to pay this young man's way to a Christian summer camp. It was during this camp that the 12-year-old Wilson committed his life to God. While he was a teenager, young Bill Wilson was given a job at his local congregation. After his high school graduation, Wilson was encouraged to attend a seminary, then pioneered this work. The concept of a bus ministry and sidewalk Sunday school was born. Over the years, Wilson has been shot, stabbed, beaten, and hospitalized numerous times. Yet he remains committed to the ministry and still drives one of the hundreds of buses utilized by his ministry each week he is in town. We're just going to have a look about uh, a clip on Bill Wilson and why he's motivated to do what he does. Can you see over me? I'm not that tall. <laughs> significance, and about significance and about wanting to be the person who came from nothing to produce all this stuff. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that a, a, a good question? I've got to go back. Everything that I look at has to take me back 
to the corner where my mother left me. I knew what I felt like those three days sitting by myself. That's why I go back every Christmas Eve. I want to renew that because it's very easy. I'm 65 years old, so it's easy at this point. But possibly immortal. Maybe. We're working mind, on it. Yeah. It's possible. Okay. I'm it out. But to be able to go back to the corner and know how I feel, know what that man did, this proverbial random act of kindness, if you want to use that, to be able to say that was the turning point in my life. Because you and I both know anybody could have picked me up. Gang member could have picked me up. Pedophile could have picked me up. Anyone did. But the Christian did. Now, if we want to talk about in spiritual terms, was this predestination? Are we going to get into Reverend Calvin here? We're not going to get into that. But the truth is this. Here's the truth. At the end of the day, one Christian said, I can't change a country. I may not be able to change a village, but I can take one child and I can do something for this kid, which he did, and he put something into motion. You want to know what my motive is? That's my motive. Why do I still drive my own Sunday school bus in New York City? Because every week when I drive the bus, you know who I'm picking up. I'm picking up myself. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Really stirs your heart. When he's picking up that child, he's picking up himself. He remembers what it felt like. And we don't want to get so sophisticated and stressed and busy with the things that are really, in the end, not important to miss a life that maybe needs to be picked up. Who's coming for me? God's coming for you today. He's coming for me. But who can we go for to pick up? So I've got some thoughts just right now, three points for mums and for others. Number one, mothers carry. Babies don't come walking. Your dream doesn't come walking. You know, your vision doesn't come walking. Your new business doesn't come walking. Who knows that you've got to carry your baby from one place to another. They can't do it. You can't say, come on, use your legs, get up and walk. They can't. We've got to actually carry them. Even a toddler, for those of you who've got toddlers. You know, often they can't walk far. And when you want them to walk, they don't want to walk. They're like, no, I don't want to walk. Pick me up. And you end up sometimes, and on a walk, having to carry a toddler a long time because they're tired. We might have dreams we wanted to birth. We might have vision, family. But for a start, they don't have legs that work. And we have to learn how to carry that which is birthed in the spirit in our life and take it from one place to another and not get impatient that it doesn't find its feet straight away, that it's going to take time. And we can carry weighty things for others. And I think just for children, sometimes, do they have too many choices? Is that what messes them up sometimes because they can't choose what to eat, what to wear? You know, maybe there's too many choices and we say, we can carry that for you. We can make decisions for you. Don't expose, and we're talking about children, you're before their time. I think parents, we need to use discretion. And sometimes we're not carrying them in that stage where they need to be carried. Carrying is actually covering them. Corrie ten Boom, a famous lady who hid things in the years of 
Hitler, she hit, not things, she hid Jewish people and helped them escape out of Berlin. She was on the train with her father and she was seated next to her father in the train compartment. It was Corrie ten Boom from Holland. Well, she was Dutch. I suddenly asked, Father, what is sex in? He turned to look at me as he always did when answering a question. But to my surprise, he said nothing. At last he stood up, lifted his traveling case off the floor and set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corrie, he said. I stood up and I tugged at it. It was crammed with the watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said, and it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corrie, with knowledge. Such knowledge is too heavy for children. When you're older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. And sometimes we have to carry things longer than maybe we might like to. But actually in carrying things, we are covering. You know, what are we allowing sometimes the children to be exposed to? A lifestyle of rushing, of busyness, of stress. Or are we covering them in that? TV. Some of the programs the children watch, just even the attitudes. They might be all right, but the attitudes... Sometimes of the children, you're like, whoa. And I'm not being prudish, but honestly, what are we allowing them or to be burdened or exposed to that we maybe could um, cover them? Computer games. What are the kids watching on the computer games? You know, violation, you know, um, violence and sexual innuendos. You've gone quiet on me. (laughs) Now, every parent will have a disagreement And it's good for children to see how to disagree in a healthy way, but not often. But fighting in front of your children, Dr. Phil says, is nothing short of child abuse. The damage that it's doing internally on the child, we need to cover them. We need to carry them. Personally, when we had difficulties in our ministry life, in our church life, it never came into the house. Home was the haven. You've got to learn how to keep the storm on the outside and keep it calm on the inside. So whatever storm you're going through, parents, keep it on the outside. So the children don't have to wear it on the inside. Does that make sense? And I think Bruce and I did that well. That was one thing we did well. Our children were like, oh, we didn't know that. We didn't know this. Because we carried it and we protected them from it. On the other hand, we've got to recognize when kids need to walk. And sometimes we're carrying them when they should be walking, okay? And recognize when they need to walk. Avoid um, carrying them long term. Like toddlers, even adults at times won't put their feet down. Come on, put your feet down. Even adults can go limp on you. And, you know, no, I need to be carried. I want you to do this for me. It's like, no, you're an adult now. You need to be able to put your feet down. Come on, you need to feel the pavement. And sometimes some people are still wanting to be carried and you're growing up. It's like feel the pavement. You know, feel by putting your uh, feet down on the reality of life that you secure yourself and you can walk in a healthy way before your God. That's how they mature. When we allow the children at the right time to fight their own giants. I can't fight their giants as much as we would like to. As parents, they've got their own giants. 
And there's generational giants that are different from what we face, that they face. But you know, it's going to make them strong in the struggle. Otherwise, we take away children's strength and their development. And as an adult, they'll have unrealistic expectations. They'll be expecting to be carried. They'll be expecting and have unrealistic expectations of other people. So as parents, avoid trying too hard. Don't overprotect. Don't put fear. Bruce always said, we can handle broken bones, and we had lots of broken bones and cut chins and split heads, but not a broken spirit or a spirit of fear. And you know, a spirit of fear is harder to get rid of or to mend than a broken body. Mothers, can I speak to you? And time's going really fast. Can you let the fathers arise? And sometimes mothers are getting in the way of the fathers not meaning to. But you know, especially when it comes to boys, there's a bridge of adolescence they have to walk on. And sometimes the mother is in the way. And this is the time where men are needed. And if there's not a father in the house, there's youth leaders, there's pastors, there's school teachers, there's people that you can, in a sense, help you. Let your boy um, advance or go over that bridge of adolescence into manhood. I'm going to show you a clip um, from a lady who was actually sacked because she was outspoken in what she said. So, um, but I'm just going to show you a small part, and I thought, this is good, okay? Oh, that's me. <laughs> okay, here she comes. Friends becomes crucial during the teenage years. Celia calls it the bridge of adolescence that boys must cross to reach manhood. And for that, they need dad up on the bridge beside them, not mum. The hard reality for mothers is you will delay your son's entrance into manhood if you don't move over on the bridge. You want him to find your way into manhood, then trust me, you can't do this. So stop pampering him, she says. For the woman, I'm just going to ask you one practical thing. On behalf of your boys, could you please stop making his lunch? Daniel, does your mother still make your lunch? No. <laughs> no, but Keith does. She makes your lunch. Yeah. You're in the seventh form. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tom, yours too. Yeah, she makes my sandwiches. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> is, this, is this shameful or what? We're supposed to be. Young, oh, they taste good. So I don't mind. <laughs> How about that? So there's a bit of a laugh in that. And I thought I've damaged my boys. I made their lunch right through to work years. <laughs> but I think that's an interesting clip. And sometimes mothers, we're in the way. And we try and meet the emotional needs that sometimes only the father can meet. And so we need to know how to stand aside. Best way you can carry your kids is in prayer. When I pray, I hear God's voice in my prayer. I might start praying for one of my family members. But as I pray, I hear myself praying something that I hadn't planned to pray. And that's the prophetic, and it's God's voice and my voice. And I'm like, that's what I need to pray. That's what I need to institute, and that's how I need to carry them. And I'm going to carry them in prayer. Who could you pick up in prayer? Are you carrying with joy? When I get overwhelmed with a lot of responsibility, and I'm like, oh, I just say, come on, Helen, just rearrange the furniture in your brain. Just go minimal. I think a lot of our pressure comes from overthinking, overstressing, making a job harder than it needs to be. And I'm like, just rearrange your furniture in your brain. Just relax. It's not as hard as you think. 
And I think God's going to take some pressure off people right now. Number two, we're going fast. Mothers, invest and give action your conviction. Don't procrastinate. Don't let time rob you. Say, I don't have time. I'll do that later. Yeah, I see the need for this, but maybe sometime later on. We can let all sorts of things like money. And it says money's are like the, the, the worries of the world. They'll choke you. Even me. You know, we can put self first and delay what we really know we should be investing into. Proverbs 28, 19, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. Are you tilling your land? And sometimes tilling your land for me is, it's like turning over the selfishness of your life. Now there has been said a lot, and I think it's so wise, you need me time. In my day, they didn't talk about me time, we forgot to even think about me. And I think it's good. Look after yourself. Have me time. But I'm wondering the overbalance of that is me time becomes an unhealthy competitor instead of the values of parenthood. Is that okay to say that? What do you need to till? My testimony is that I feel like I've got plenty of bread because I've tilled my land. I've got plenty of bread. But self-protecting just brings a real lack, a real emptiness, a real condemnation. Because we're always trying to put that first. Somehow, me has to be in front. Whereas you till your land. I'm going to give over the selfishness. I'm just going to do whatever it takes. Just like Bill Wilson, not that we're on that scale. I'll do whatever it takes. And you'll be full. You'll have plenty of bread. So inspiration leads to investment, leads to culture. And I just find culture just seeps in. You can be proud of your children in this church. The culture is just seeping in and soaking in the kids. As we've got a value system, as we're investing and training them, they are just absorbing a culture where kids are ministering to kids. Kids are interceding at the start of service. They've had two significant answers this week. They've seen more money come in for Shout. They've seen the Manila Church, which they've been praying for, receive a building and a kids' room that'll take 125 instead of 30. So we can tell the kids, come on, culture seeps in either positively or negatively. Come on, you can't be negative and anxious and expect a different result. You've got to have values. You've got to give in to the values. And you watch how the culture just becomes the norm. And we're creating God norms for the children in children's church. Kids are carrying and ministering to kids. And the last one is mothers build culture. Oopsie, confused with the time. Oh, I've got plenty of time. <laughs> I don't know how to read the clock. I don't know whether it's a counting down clock or it's a normal clock. Okay, good, I don't need to rush, okay. Excuse me, I'm old. No. <laughs> okay, another generation altogether. So we just find that in kids' church, I can go back there, new kids come in. The culture's there. You watch the new kids raising their hand in worship. You watch the new children laying hands on other, on other children. They, don't even, they haven't heard about prayer, but they want to be part of what's happening. Why? Because culture seeps in. We've got a culture as a church. We've got a culture that, that lives and breathes. 
but we've got to invest. And if it means tilling and turning over the soil of selfishness in your life, because you're worried about me or money or time, time can be a competitor. How many people find time's a competitor? It is, but how to slow it down and be present in the moment. So we find that children are carrying children and ministering. One young boy who was having trouble with bullying. Now, as leaders, we pray for kids, but we've got the children praying for kids. When he went into the prayer tent we've established, the children laid hands on him, and he came out and he said, I feel like crying. And he said, but not crying because I'm sad, but crying because I'm so happy. Because the children had actually ministered. It was more important that the children, his peers, who he feels isolated from, actually prayed for him and saw a, a, a transaction happen in him, that he feels more like he belongs, that he can come in now, and he's welcome, and he doesn't need to come in so tentatively. So number three is mothers build culture. Culture is home-grown. And I, can I say, culture is heart-grown? So what's really going on in here? What's the culture? What's the thinking? Are we overthinking? Sometimes you've just got to tell yourself off. You know, I tell myself off. Oh, I frighten myself to get out of a thought, to come back. Come on, we need to do that sometimes. Take yourself in hand. It's not everybody else's fault. It's not because you've got too much to do. It's sometimes you're thinking. And just get it all in perspective. It's heart grown. Culture is heart grown. What's heart will grow. So make sure it's really positive. What you sow breeds, grows, and make sure it's the right one. And I just thought I would testify in our family. I believe that we've reaped in this way. So get ready, Hamish. <laughs> He's the only one here. Okay. Personally, I believe a culture that seeped through our family, and I give all glory to God for it, is generosity. Our, us and our children have no angst about finances. It's like if it needs to be done, if it needs to be given, if it needs to benefit someone, if it's a vision, it's like we've got no angst about it, whether we've got little or whether we've got much. And I think that's a culture that seeped through the family. It's like whatever it takes, we'll give. We'll give in to the need. We'll, we let it go. And I think that's a culture we've established on purpose. Another one is security. I believe our children have reaped secure. Bruce is an incredibly secure man. Give him credit for that. But I believe that they're secure because they had no anxiety about their parents. They didn't have to worry whether we loved one another or, or not. We did. We demonstrated they didn't have to worry whether mum and dad were all right. You know, children take that on board and it's a huge burden for them. If they don't think, and I know things go wrong, We've had it go wrong in our family with a member. But children can take it on board, but I believe we've been able to give them a security in who they are because they didn't have to worry about us. That was a given. That was a sure thing. Another thing is belief. I just believe because we, they witnessed strong conviction. They witnessed faith expressed in prophetic direction like their parents had faith. And they witnessed us living out our conviction in a prophetic direction, like we've heard God. And I believe on the same level, they can hear God 
And I believe another thing that's crept through and soaked in and seeped out, you're all looking at me so serious, is adventure. Because we're risk takers, our kids are risk takers. They weren't ones to go, oh, I don't know, but in business, you know, with ministry, with many, many ventures, they're risk takers. Why? Because they're part of the culture. It's something that who we are, that they've become. And praise God, I'm sure it'll go into the next generation. So I want to encourage you today to take courage and keep building. I've said many things. But who are you going to carry? Who are you going to pick up? Who are you coming for? You know, we look in society, there's the young, the vulnerable, the broken, the lonely, the homeless. Like Bill Wilson, he's saving the world one child at a time. Look at the youth reaching out. We commend the youth team and all that they're doing to gather in. I'd say to our kids' leaders, you know what? One day, someone's going to turn around and point to you and say, my life changed. And we heard a testimony in church about the boom leaders and young Genesis' life. They can point back and say, at that moment, someone ministered into my life and changed the direction of my heart and gave me hope and prophesied and spoke purpose into my life. Who's going to turn around and point to you and say, because of you, I found life. I was able to get out of that wilderness. I was able to get out of that wayward thinking. I was able to get out of that hopelessness and return home. Who's going to look at you? And we can let the worries of life just contain us to us and our immediate family. How sad to finish life and say, I never picked up anybody. And that's my challenge today is who are you going to pick up? Who are you praying for? Who are you carrying? And you know, we could have a lot more massive children on Friday if we have a van. So it's like, if you want to give us a van, that's my cheeky faith this morning. Like, we will take it. We will take it off you. We will uh, collect young people. And I'm sure the youth need vans as well. It's a way we can carry. And maybe some of you are bus drivers. Come on, bus drivers. How are we going to finish our race? Just making it, surviving it? Oh, got through all I had to do, you know, just a bit of time. Well, I need to stretch my heart. And I've got a saying, if I can get my heart around it, I can get my arms around it. And sometimes we just got to let our heart go and go, wow, the vision's too big. It's costly. But if I get my heart around it, then my arms, I'll be like Elastigirl. girl. I can get my arms around it. And you know, miracles are at the end of our extremities when it seems too much, too big. But that's where miracles happen and that's why we see what we see because we let our heart go, then we can get our arms around it. So God is amazing. God wants to do incredible things in each and every one of our lives. So maybe if we just close our eyes now. Come on, we're all called to carry. Come on, He carries us. We're all called to pick up, to lift up. We're all called to invest and to give, and we're all called to build a culture, a culture that represents Jesus Christ, a culture that people like, just like those kids come in and just want to be part of it. 
And how often are we in the wilderness? And God is coming for you today. God is coming in his love and says, I notice you and it's okay. And maybe you're feeling isolated. Maybe you're feeling far away from God. Maybe it's not even your fault and you're out on the outer and you're, you're struggling. But I believe God and his Holy Spirit will come to speak to you today and to say, this is your day. Come home. Come home. And I'm going to get later Pastor Ed to lead you in prayer. But I just want to minister right now. And I want to pray. And if you want to make a response in your heart to say, I'm going to shift something today. I'm going to find the God word in my spirit that's going to propel me out of doubt, out of fear, and into the full purpose of God. And yes, I'm going to embrace more. I'm going to gather more. I'm going to collect more. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to be full of bread because I've tilled the heart of my life. Got rid of the hard clumps, the, the stony heart, and I've got a heart of love. And I know with your grace, I can do far more. So Father, we thank you today that you're here, Lord God, to strengthen mothers. Lord God, Father God, that Father, they would find that rhythm that you have for them. They'd find your voice calling them out of any stuck place, any place of condemnation. Father, that you will help them today to order their thinking, to find the joy of the Lord. Father, to find the courage and the wisdom that you want to impart. Father, I thank you that you're strengthening fathers, you're strengthening youth, you're strengthening everyone here, you're strengthening us as the church to be a body who will carry, a body who will love, a body who's developed legs, Lord God, that can go and minister life. Father, forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us when we're locked in with the pressures of life, Lord God, they're real. But we choose to change our mind today. We choose and we repent, Lord God, and we turn, Father, to embrace everything you have. Father, that we might have plenty of bread in our heart and to give. Father, right now we pray, speak into every life. And if you're here, I'm not gonna just put your hand up if you go, something's got to shift in me. I'm making a choice today to live differently. I'm making a choice to sh shift some of that clutter in my mind, some of that pressure in my mind, some of the doubts in my mind, some of the fears in my mind. I'm gonna deal with those today in the name of Jesus and I'm shifting them out so I might be free to live, breathe and be the person you've called me to be, to make a difference, to pick up others in this world in Jesus' name. So if that's you, just wave at me. Come on, I believe there's lots of people here. Just wave. Good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you for the people that have responded. Father, we thank you there's a shifting, there's a turning. Lord God, there's a turning over. And Father, I pray for a generosity of heart, a culture that just spills all over the place, Lord God, that people will wanna come and be where you are. Thank you, silence the voice of the enemy. And Father, I pray for a word right now, specifically for people prophesy, Lord God, your Holy Spirit can prophesy, just wait. If you can come up now, Ed, please. 
Okay, expect to receive. Come on, expect to receive a word from God. Expect to speak to Him to speak to you right now. Even to remind you. Thank you for your peace. God looks at you and He loves you. And He says, you're worth reproducing. <laughs>